Today on We Need to Talk, we talked to the blind blogger. Now, this episode is quite amazing. There are a couple audio issues here and there. Uh, it's not the best audio we've ever had, but at the same time, the content is what counts and it's amazing. So you guys, hey, tune in, listen, because we need to talk. Welcome back. So glad you guys could join us. I am here once again with my best friend, Nathan Pepin. How's it going today, Pepin? Yo, yo, I'm doing well. How about you, Meter? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for asking. And we are joined here today by friend of the show, fellow podcaster, Maxwell Ivy. How's it going today, Maxwell? It is going really good for me personally. It's not going so great for you two guys. I mean, because y'all are, y'all are <laughs> struggling hard today, but... Mainly because of of me, because of my inability to ha- to uh, to figure out a way to use Discord on my eight year old laptop. But I mean, it is just so <laughs> it is just so much fun to be doing live anything again, and it's it's great to see live coming back. When I did my first interview seven years ago, everybody was using Blog Talk Radio, so everything was live, and you know, since it was uh, using their presets. If you were in the middle of a sentence at the end of the half hour of the hour, you just got cut off. So, I mean, it was it was really fun doing live radio. It's really fun doing live podcasting again. And uh, I personally think that you guys need to, to find a way to share some of this stuff that happened before we went live with your audience. Because, one, it will encourage them. And, two, it really leans into my brand as the blind blogger, as the guy who people say, if Max can do it, then what's my excuse? Because I think one of the biggest things that keeps people from starting a podcast is the fear of doing it wrong or having technical issues and looking silly and having people make fun of you on Facebook because, you know, your tech didn't work that day. But when I get, you know, when people get to see people like you guys who are, you know, very professional, been doing it a long time, um, you know, have a very polished show and y'all do all the live stuff. Or when they can see me, a guy who, you know, basically uses the simplest technology available to him to get his podcast out in the world. I think those things are are very encouraging and they're really important. Uh, people need to see the behind the scenes stuff more often or they'll think it's hard because they make it look easy. So I'm really having fun with this and uh, and I'm sure you, your loyal listeners and who knows, maybe even some of the new people watching or listening, excuse me, will, will enjoy watching us um, do our version of uh, Laurel and Hardy today. <laughs> and, you know, the technical issues, I think, I think the biggest thing is like when a lot of people are nervous to have on other people, because it's like, what if a technical issue comes up? But the thing is when, anyone who's done this understands that's part of the course. Like this is very normal that you're going to run into stuff. And the thing is to just like overcome it. And, to, and I think you have a very good uh, outlook on over- overcoming adversity, um, <laughs> probably mostly due to necessity. Yeah, it's probably, it is due to necessity. Um, but, but besides the vision loss, which uh, started when I was four or five, and I, I had a big drop off in vision when I was going for junior high school. So that was when I started using a white cane. But besides the vision loss, 
Um, I grew up in a family of carnival owners. So we, being a small business, we quite often didn't have the resources we needed at the times we wanted and needed them. So my dad used to have an expression when we would make opening and somebody would look at him and go, you know, how did y'all do that? How did you and and Max managed to get that 700 pound moonwalk in a truck by yourself? Or, uh, you know, how did you get that tire changed when you didn't have a jack? And he would always just stand there and grin at him and say, what, did we have a choice? So, you know, the whole 15 years, yeah, 15 years of helping drag a small carnival around, the, around Texas really helped build those, uh, those muscles as far as, you know, just, well, we just got to find a way to do it because that's what we do. And, you know, anybody can can have that approach. It uh, it does take practice. And the first few times you do it, it really won't work or it won't feel like it's working because it's uh, it's like everything else. A, a guy doesn't run a marathon the first week he puts on his, his new shoes. It takes months to build up to running a marathon. And it's the same way with, you know, finding these solutions. You guys have been podcasting a while. I've been uh, podcast guesting and hosting my show for a while. So we all understand that this is part for the course. You know, back in the day when everything was done live, nobody thought the least bit of, of, of uh, worry about stuff going wrong because it happened to everybody. I mean, go back and watch any of the television from the 50s. It was all recorded live in front of studio audiences and they would rehearse all week and stuff would still happen on recording day. Absolutely. And I could not do this show without Pepin, without somebody who actually knows how to make all of this work in which it's the fan having two, three backups. So I give all credit for the success of our hard show in the technical aspect to, to Nathan, no doubt. Hey, I'll take it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's, that's one of those things. I really love that you just did that because one of the other things that really just aggravates the heck out of me is the number of people who are doing work, you know, online uh, or they have they have regular businesses, and it's all about them. They never let you see the, the support team, the technical people that back them up. The uh, you never hear about their virtual assistants uh, or their their call screeners or whatever these other people are in their their lives or their business. You never hear about those people. So the natural assumption is. You know, I, you see that person, that face of the business, and the natural assumption for a lot of people is, is he's doing it all by himself, so I should be able to do it all by myself. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is we aren't meant to do important things on our own. There, There's more joy involved in when we will let people come along for the ride and let them be part of our journey. And we can make so much more progress more quickly if we will let people help. So it's really important that more podcasters, authors, bloggers, whatever, let the people out there see the help that they have, the team that they have, so that they won't get frustrated and quit when they think this isn't happening and it should happen because everybody else is doing it all by themselves. Mm. Yeah. And and definitely don't get it twisted. This is not uh, my show. This is Nate and I are our co-hosts on this, so um, it is as much, if not more, his than than mine. Uh, but we we do have a good we do do a good job, I think, of of breaking up the work. And I agree yeah. with you that it's I think it's really important to a credit where credits due and b 
um, to, to try and not take on everything yourself if you can help it. Uh, if you have people to, to work with, um, you know, put your aces in their places. Yeah. And, you know, from, from my personal uh, progress as a podcaster, when I first started, I refused to have a podcast. I was being interviewed on a lot of people's shows and host started asking me when I was going to have my own podcast. And I said, well, when somebody shows up who's willing to handle the technical side of it, so all I have to do is show up and talk or talk to people. And that's one of those things. It's um, it's kind of dangerous to say stuff like that out loud because like three weeks later, Frederick by from Canada reached out to me. He's like, he's like, yeah, I'd like to have you on my website and you know, I'll take care of all the technical stuff. So all you have to do is show up and, you know, with a podcast, even though you may eventually get to the point where you do it, you do it pretty much by yourself, which I do now, uh, having somebody to take care of the, the technical stuff to take care of uh, asking people to come on the show as guests for interviews, if you do interviews, but just having somebody where all you have to do is worry about the content when you first start can be, can be very freeing. And I like to let people know that that's how I started because I think there are probably people out there who think that I'm, you know, that I started doing this stuff all by myself. I, I would love to have a co-host, but my co-host has a has a, a different side hustle these days where he's making more money than I am. So <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't have the time to to help me do my podcast. But I'm seriously, you know, I'm 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 seriously thinking about um, you know about maybe doing a show a month or, or where where I have some of the people who've been on my show in the past uh, be the co-host or show up and be the host and and let me be the guest and just see how that works out. But yeah, in the beginning, I was a guest on a lot of shows. Then I was a co-host with Fred and then finally started doing the interviews myself. So that's one of those things I like to share with people because it really, some, some people it's going to take longer for you to get there. And I like to make sure people don't think that I, you know, just started out being what's your excuse guy. And that I didn't have a lot of uh, side trips along the way before I got there. Right. That would be a really, really interesting concept for a show where every week you have a different host, but the same guest. <laughs> <laughs> so, so whoever your you know, guest is, is the host that week, but you're always the guest on the show. Like, thank you for coming back. You are the, for the 68th <laughs> time guest on this show. Uh, <laughs> I like yeah, that. Tr- trust yeah, trust the comic podcast host to see the to see the humor in something like that. But so, so I think you've I think you've pretty much answered the question. It wouldn't be something you do every week, but it might be something really cool to do once a month. And one of the things I like to do is is every so often get a friend of mine to write what I like to call a uh, through my friend's eyes post for my website, and that's basically to have them tell my story through their story and what they may have learned about themselves or about life as a result of being on my podcast or interviewing me or, or attending an event with me or just, just happening to interact with me on social media and become friends online. So every so often I like to have somebody do those posts and it's really cool because they, they get to share their, their experiences and, and their bio and let people know a little bit about them, but they also will, will tell my audience stuff about me that I don't, tell my audience stuff about me. So, 
you know, it's it's less bragging and and more insight. So that do that every so often. That's kind of that's similar. a really smart way to brag. Make other people do it for you. <laughs> uh, I I could I could not hang around you very very often because you you see things you see things, man. I mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that was never my intent to start with, but now that now, now that I'm seeing it from your point of view, I'm like, dang, you could be right. I could be, I could be an egotistical ham slash diva who needs constant. Um, do you uh, do you tell them to write nice things? No, no, no. I tell them to write. Okay, yeah, I let them write whatever the heck they want to write, and then I don't edit it. I just post it to the website. So yeah. I'm, no, I would never tell anybody what to write. Um, and you better say something nice or else. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's hard. It's hard to get people to, to write testimonials or to leave comments on your on your work mm-hmm. online. It's it's hard to get people to even write emails, you know, for a lot of the time. And, you know, for those of you who are listening to this, if uh, me or uh, Nathan or Stephen have done anything on our shows or or today that you really appreciated. Sometimes a nice short email or or a comment on social media is is more valuable than cash. So, you know, if you appreciate what these guys have been doing, you haven't sent them an email in the last six months or a year. Um, you know, go over to their website and say, "Hey, I really appreciated how how honest and authentic and vulnerable you guys were when you interviewed that blind guy." <laughs> I love it. And, and while you're at it, go ahead and uh, drop that iTunes, iTunes as well. And, you know, you said it's more valuable than cash. I, there's options for that, too. Just throwing that out there. But, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, there's a PayPal, I'm sure there's a PayPal button and maybe there's oh, a got Patreon. You get, you get extra stuff. You get, yeah, you get bonus right. content. It's great. See, and that's where, the, that's where the making of the sausage, like you were talking about earlier, comes in where, you know, you want to see here and see some of the stuff that, is a little bit uh, more under the radar. It's the not polished stuff, but there's a lot of really good content there. Um, that's how you can you can get that. So great, really natural way to plug ourselves. Really appreciate that, Maxwell. Uh, uh, so uh, you know, it's one one thing that I that I that I realized a long time ago, and I I teach my my podcast guest students to do this. I tell my clients to do this. The most important thing you could do when you get an opportunity is to th- is to say thank you. But the best way to say thank you is to put feet on the ground, butts in the seats, or faces behind the screens. So mm-hmm. when I do a podcast, you know my my goal is to do whatever I can to uh, provide value to their audience, but then also to share that content or or to to hopefully get people to to listen to your audio and then, and then either do business with you or support you financially, because that's, that's how this works. I mean, and, and this, this, this next bit I'm going to say for y'all, this is not pre-planned. This is not BS. This is the truth. Okay. There really wouldn't, there really wouldn't be a V blind blogger or a what's your excuse without all the podcasters over the last seven and a half years who gave me the platform to share my experiences teach some life, life lessons and occasionally, you know, share a little bit of music along the way. So without you guys, there wouldn't be me. So I, you know, I definitely want to do whatever I can to help you guys keep going and even do better as you go forward as podcasters. Oh, definitely appreciate it. 
Let's, uh, so, so we've, we've, we've referenced it many times. You're, you're blind at this point, completely. Um, you, you said it started when you were younger. Now you're, you're completely blind, correct? Right. I have technically, I have light perception, but that's one of those, uh, scientific things that's meaningless in my opinion, because, well, I mean, I can tell you if the light in the room is on or off, but only if I'm looking directly at it and only if it's a fairly bright light, like I have. I have this lamp to the left of me that we we brought in to help uh, improve the lighting here in my room for when I record video. And it has three different colors. I can't tell you what color light is on. I know there's white, yellow, and blue, but I can't tell you whether the white, yellow, or blue is on. Or even if it is on half the time because it's not really bright enough. Mm. And one of my favorite stories, actually, the, the first time I recorded a video as the blind blogger for the blindblogger.net, uh, I, didn't, I didn't take the time to look up at my ceiling fan and make sure that the light was on. So I recorded the, the video in the dark. <laughs> and half the people who watched that video are like, man, Max, did you not check your room, your lighting? Because it's, it looks like you're sitting in a cave. It looks like... <laughs> It looks like you should be hanging out with Gandalf or something. <laughs> and the the other half of the people who saw it, they're like, "Man, Max, what a great metaphor! The blind guy is going to lead us out of the darkness into the light." <laughs> you just you record with video, but it's a blank screen. You're like, "Welcome to my world." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so that video has become one of the most inspirational things I ever did because it's a mess. It's a mistake, but mm. it's still up on my website. And like I say, it, it, I give people the opportunity to decide, you know, how they're going to feel about that video. It's kind of like a video rush check test. If you think about it, if you're a positive person, you're going to see a metaphor. If you're a negative person, you're going to see, man, he screwed that up. <laughs> You can do both. You can screw up and get a metaphor out of it, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I just wasn't. The difference was I wasn't trying. I wasn't trying for the metaphor. That wasn't what I was hoping for. So you know, and and also I admitted that that wasn't wasn't intentional. It just happened. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. And uh, my other one that happened that was not as good as that because um, I have absolutely no ability to to see images on my computer screen, I only go by the, the file names that they're labeled by people who send them to me. Or when I take, when somebody takes one on my, one of my devices, we, you know, we'll label the, the image. When I was creating a post for the blind blogger, that same day, I was also working on a post for a new amusement park train for my other website, the Midway Marketplace, where I help people sell used carnival stuff. And somehow the picture of this gorgeous amusement park train engine ended up in the spot that should have been my profile image of me for my blog, my blog. <laughs> and the first, the, yeah, the first blog post was titled, I think I'm ready to be an inspiration. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just imagining. <laughs> So I have a blog post titled, I think I'm ready to be an inspiration. And there's a picture of this big ass, gorgeous amusement park training <laughs> as the opening photo for the post. Yes. So for those of y'all who aren't old enough to remember, most of us grew up with a book called, I called the little engine that could. 
And the little animal just kept saying, I think I can, I think I can, until it got over the hill. And that's just another one of those examples where, you know, you do what you what you can, and you put it out there, and sometimes you screw it up. And the, the, and the, and the awesome thing is, is half the time, the stuff that I thought was a mess is the stuff people respond to the best. And I think that's because so many people think, hey, the rest of the world is, has got it all figured out. I'm the only one that sucks, you know? So, but yeah, that's one of my, that's one of my favorites because half the people who see it think, man, why is there a picture of a train here? He needs to fix that. The other half were like, I remember that book when I was a kid. What a great metaphor. <laughs> so, man, you screwed that up so good. Oh yeah. Yeah. My mistakes sometimes, my, my mistakes are often better than my intentions. And as a podcast host, I often will tell my guests in the middle of an interview that they answered a better question than I asked. Mm. <laughs> now you had, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of different things that you like, you know, I don't want to, uh, I, I think that it's easy to, to have you on being blind and just talk about you being blind the whole time. Um, and, and I don't think that's not, uh, uninteresting because I think it's, it's novel and a lot of people don't take the time to talk to, to someone who's blind and learn about that. But I think you probably talk about that a lot. So if people want to, want to hear about that, they should check you out at, at the blind blogger. Um, you know, I, I'd you love to talk to you about some stuff that isn't necessarily about you being blind, but I'm sure being blind will yeah. shape how, what we talk about in a way. Right. Right. Just, just be before we get started on those other topics, I would like to mention that, it, that funnily enough, I don't really talk about my blindness all that much on my blog or my podcast. It seems to be like what you were saying. It seems to affect it and maybe color it, but it's not the focus. And what I'm finding out recently is I'm starting to get asked and I'm starting to pitch podcast hosts where the focus of the show is on vision loss or dealing with vision loss or this show is hosted by a blind person who's also a podcaster or a podcaster who happens to be blind, depending on which way you prefer to say that. And I'm getting the opportunity to share more of, you know, more focused on my blindness. But in, in fact, I very rarely focus on it solely or strictly when I'm being interviewed, except when somebody asks about it. So I, okay. I, I'm happy what? to have happy to focus. I'm no, sure no, people no, no, would no. find that interesting. Oh, I just I mean, didn't want to be by being like, no. you are one, you are, you are one dimensional. You are blind and that is no, all no, that matters no, to me. No, 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 <laughs> no. If there is one thing I absolutely am not is one dimensional. I think um, <laughs> me and you have talked about this. I am complicated, multifaceted, multidimensional, a mess. It just depends on what kind of day I'm having as to which adjective I will use. Because mm -hmm. as you know, I'm a blogger, a podcaster, an author, um, a publicist. And I'm sure I'm forgetting something, you know, a teacher, a, a public speaker. So yeah, we'll talk about anything you want to talk about. It's your show, man. And you know what your audience <laughs> wants to hear. And I would never want to mess with anybody as far as, you know, I'm sure you've got some ideas about stuff you want to ask me. So, um, but just, let's just see where you want to take it or where sure. Nathan wants to take it, you know? Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts, Bethan? Where are you at? So one thing that I had an interest in is uh, I was reading part of your book, at least the sample on Amazon, Maxwell, and uh, you're talking a lot about uh -oh. travels. Yeah, we got to the word Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and you were talking... Which is really what's important there is that you can get Max's book over on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you were talking a lot about your travels. And that's something I found interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it, I think it's interesting that you, that you read the, you know, the preview part of the book. And one thing that I'm going to do in my next book is we're going to, we're going to reach out to people to, uh, to buy, to pay, to buy sponsorship in the previews so that even if they don't buy the book, we'll still make some money on it. So mm -hmm. that's something we're going to do next. But yeah, the, um, in the last, uh, what is it? Four years, I have traveled cross country by myself uh, several times first via Amtrak as one of the Amtrak riders in residence in 2016. I went to New York City during the Christmas and New Year's holidays. And then since then, I've been to various speaking events by train, bus, and plane, and sometimes in the cars of people I met online. So the, the travel has been interesting for, you know, two reasons. One, I get a lot from sighted people who are like, I'm afraid to go across town. I don't know how you go cross country. And then the other thing is a lot of people will go, how do you get, find the courage to leave your house with, you know, with only a few hundred dollars on you knowing you're going to Philadelphia or New York or Chicago. So those are the two things that people ask me about a lot when it comes to my travel. And I think the real thing is, is I just don't think about it. I mean, I'm thinking more about uh, the opportunity to meet to, to meet new people to have new experiences. I'm looking forward to you know to giving a talk or signing books or uh, visiting whatever the favorite watering hole is in whatever town I'm going to. And so I really just don't think about it. <clears throat> and the other thing is is you know we go back to my days as a carnival owner. There were a lot of times I didn't have money to get to next week, but we didn't not get to next week. So is that uh, that old mantra of. Uh... I didn't realize we had a choice in the matter. That, yeah, that, or as I told you once, I'm I'm not smart enough to be scared. You know, I <laughs> I quite often I quite often just don't realize how difficult something is that I'm about to do, or how scary it is for most people until after it's over with, and people tell me how inspiring it was, and I'm like, what was inspiring? It wasn't like I did, you know, it wasn't like I. Uh, you know, it wasn't like I was bungee jumping over, uh, off of the off of the Golden Gate Bridge or something. I mean, I got on a train and went to Philadelphia. But, you know, I have to remember that for a lot of people, uh, public speaking is scary. Traveling by themselves is scary. Traveling, period, especially now, can be scary. Uh, just this week, I found out that I inspired a woman and go to a 50th, uh, a 50th birthday party for her friend across the country. And my response to that was, you know, I'm glad I inspired you, but I'm not sure I would fly right now given Corona. <laughs> oh boy, that that kind of takes a piss out of it, doesn't it? I mean, well, you know, my whole thing is authenticity, man. I'm going to tell you what I think and feel and what happened, and you know, if if you think less of me because of it, then fine. But you know, I can't it just isn't in, in me to, to lie to you. So the truth is, is right now, you know, I'd probably have to buy me an M95 mask or something before I get on a plane, because I mean, you're in there in confined space with recirculating air. I mean, if you, if you listen to what the scientists say, I still don't understand how people go to restaurants. Because yeah. It's all in the ventilation. It's all in the ventilation, man. If, if, if a place, if the in most places the air is going to be recirculated, that's how buildings are built. That's how planes and cars and trains are built. So I think if I were to try were to want to travel right now, I'd have 
to find somebody I trusted really well and just go by car. I think uh, I think a lot of that, like people feeling fear in doing things like traveling or, or whatever, um, is like the uncertainty. Uh, and like being like, well, when I get there, what's it going to be like? I'm not sure. It could be bad. And, and people are scared by that. Um, do you feel that that uncertainty isn't as, as big a factor for you? Maybe, honestly, it sounds like that might be an excitement thing for you. You, you <laughs> like the idea of things. I don't know how things are going to be. That's great. Yeah, I'm really starting to think I may need some therapy because you're like the fourth person in the last few months to suggest that I might be uh, comfortable being uncomfortable or be um, one, one person even went so far as to say that they thought I might be addicted to challenges. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to climb Everest or jump out of a plane or nothing. I just enjoy going to other places and meeting new people and sharing my story. But yeah, I, I think you could be onto something, but I think it's just, you know, uh, I don't want to piss people off by using this, this this uh, reference, but you know how people often talk about how somebody will stay in an abusive situation because it's familiar to them, it's comfortable to them. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. spent most of my life being uncertain. You know, from yeah. an early from an early age, with my vision changing gradually over years, I never really knew from year to year what vision I would have or what uh, adaptations I would have to make to to live with that new level of vision uh you know then traveling with the carnival business a lot of times we really didn't know uh between the weather the insurance the equipment the the help you really never knew what was going to happen from one week to the next and then you know online don't get me started man there's uh the online world is is you know it's crazy unpredictable uh so yeah, I, I think it's just what you're used to. And in my case, I'm used to chaos. I'm used to uncertainty. And I think here's the most important thing. And I'm really trying to accept this, but I, I'm having a little trouble with it, but I'm, I'm, tr- I'm getting there. Um, is that I have learned over the years that if I decide that I'm going to, that there is a way to make it through or out or over whatever I'm involved in. Um, my friend Lorraine regularly, who uh, runs a website called wordingwell.com, she, she has edited my books. And I mentioned her because I would have published my books anyway, but they wouldn't have been as good or happened as soon without her help. And most of her help was done voluntary or for a lot less than she charges her other clients. So great friendship. I have to mention her. She likes to say that, uh, that Max is the, uh, that of all the people she knows, that Max gets into more shit than anybody else she knows, but he always manages to get it, manages to get himself out of it and come out with a story that you'll love hearing. <laughs> no, no. So I, I think my favorite part was when you said, um, I don't want to piss people off by saying this. And then you went ahead and said it anyway, because, because <laughs> if that ain't me, <laughs> if that's I mean, not what this show's about, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I really, it's, it's hard to find a good, uh, a good reference that people will understand, but it's, it really is. What are you, you know, what is, what are you familiar with? What are you comfortable with? What has been your experience over years and years? And for me, it is uncertainty. I mean, and I think I'm, I'm willing to admit that I don't even really, I, I rarely even seek certainty. Um, 
here lately, I have finally started to uh, adopt some systems for the work that I do online to where, you know, I kind of have a method instead of just doing the next thing in front of me. And, you know, as we learned from Stephen Covey, that can be difficult because when you do the next thing in front of you, sometimes you confuse the, the urgent with the important. So, I'm, you know, I'm working on adding systems on, on trying to be, uh, of have more of a schedule and more of a routine, but it's not easy for me. And, you know, so I think you're onto something. I, I'm just trying to figure out if it's, if it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, if it's one of those things that makes me a bad person or if it's just one of those things that is who I am and I just need to accept it and see if there's a way I can teach other people to do it too because quite a few people worry about how do they overcome the fear and uncertainty in their lives. For me, absolutely. with myself, a lot of it is momentum. Like I will, if I start staying still, I tend to stay still. Mm-hmm. If I start moving, once I get moving, I'm good. Like, let's say I need to work on a project or I need to do something. It's like, once I start working, like I can keep going. I might go for hours and hours and overwork myself. But if I just kind of like sway in bed or stay still, then I'm just going to stay still. It, it, it's hard to get going, but once I get going, it's good. But is there any kind of recommendations for getting going? Or if you're at a standstill, kind of like getting past that? Yeah, I think what you just referenced there is, uh, is that Newton's first law of, of energy or first law of motion, that things in motion tend to stay in motion and things that are uh, at still tend to stay there until something forces them to move. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Roughly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, one of the things I find is that people set, especially when they're trying to get going, they set too big of a goal. Like uh, this happens, I hear this a lot from writers, so I'm going to use them as an example. A writer will tell me that they can't get going. They need to write a chapter a day or they need to write 2,000 words a day. And they just can't open up the laptop or or, the, or get out their typewriter or get out their paper and pen and write a new chapter or 2,000 words a day. So I tell them, set a timer and tell yourself you're going to write five for five minutes because the trick is to, is to get yourself moving and then usually once we start moving, like you said, we will do more. So I tell writers, write for five minutes. I tell podcasters, don't uh, don't say you're creating an hour-long podcast. Say that you're going to share one thought of yours on, on audio or video. Um, don't say that you need to interview um, the guys from, you know, from we need to talk as the standard of your podcast being being a success. So uh, I would say really start smaller as, as uh, a host told me the other day, or he said, so what you mean is if you're going to jump off cliffs, start with a little cliff. Mm-hmm. So uh, with, with exercise, I have told one friend that when you, when it's been years since the last time you exercise, even the process of putting on your shoes and lacing them up and standing up and walking outside for a few minutes can be that, thing that gets you started so you just have to find something small that our brain can wrap itself around that doesn't seem like a big deal or a difficult challenge and get ourselves moving and then once we're moving we will usually go farther than we intended and and quite often you know people that uh, take my advice for writing they'll end up writing three four hours or you know, they'll look at the clock at two o'clock in the morning and go, how did that happen? Well, it happened because you didn't overwhelm yourself by saying you're going to write for an hour. Mm-hmm. 
Right, right. Yeah, it, it's kind of like you described there. It's like, I do a lot of programming and stuff. So sometimes it'll take me a little bit to get to the programming. But as soon as I start getting to it, like I'm there for way too long. Like I'll just like delve into it. <laughs> it's like five hours out oh, yeah. that time. It's like, okay, I need to stop this. But I just can't stop. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not going to claim to know much about coding. But for people who don't know, when I first started online in 2007, it was before WordPress and before Wi-Fi. And, and some pe- well, somebody recently told me Facebook came along before 2007, but I, I don't believe that. So it was before most of the social media came along. And as a blind person at that time, you had, well, for anybody at that time, you had two choices because you either had to use a, what you see is what you get or WYSIWYG, or you had to use, you had to hand code HTML. And so I went to the W3C school and taught myself HTML coding so I could put my website online. And I know exactly what you're, what you're talking about. It was a pain in the butt to open that next uh, that next document so that you could start writing. But once you started adding lines, mm. then, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning, it's like, um, <clears throat> man, I didn't realize I was working this long. I need to go to bed because I have to get up tomorrow and start doing this all over again. But, but yeah, it's one of those things. And of course, HTML is, you know, while it's a... It's a very uh, specific, you know, you have to be incredibly accurate in your HTML coding. A lot of it is very mundane and repetitive. So it's one of those things that once you start doing it, it can easily just lull you to the sleep where you don't realize how long you're working or how hard you're working at it. At least that was my experience. Um, I usually knew it was time to quit when I started when I started hearing the less than and greater than signs running together in my screen on my screen reader. <laughs> right now, that's one thing that's kind of intriguing me. So, when you're coding the HTML, how how is that the actual work process? Like, how did that actually work? Because I'm having a hard time. Like, like for me, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to imagine that. Like, uh, were you just like speaking code into the microphone, or was it like nope. a certain method? No. Uh, now, I was using the keyboard. Just uh, I would type it into uh, into text documents that would be uploaded as HTML documents, yeah. and I would basically I've I've been typing since I was like eleven or twelve because it was just one of those skills that people thought would help me down the road. So I did it, and plus it was easier than handwriting stuff. So I, mm-hmm. I did a lot of my schoolwork on a typewriter and later a computer. So my typing is very uh, reliable. So I would just, um, but when I got to a less than or a greater than or a slash, or when I got to an, a, an equal situation where, you know, things had to be uh, symmetrical and equivalent, then I would go character by character and uh, listen to the screen reader tell me uh, each character one at a time. And then, you know, sometimes I'd still end up with a page or an entire site that wouldn't load because one of those uh, slashes or less thans or, equal signs or, or uh, closed or open quotes didn't agree. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then just imagine trying to find those errors cited. And I would say trying to find them with a screen reader is probably about three, at least three times more difficult. So I really tried not to make an error when I was entering actual code as opposed to text surrounded by code. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I still mess um when I first started adding images to my uh, to my website pages, it seemed like just it seemed like just about every time I did it, uh, you know, like if 
say it's been a, two, a week or two since the last time I had done it, I would always mess it up and I end up with big black holes in my my pages because the picture that was supposed to be there wasn't there, mm. but the space for the picture was there. So since I told it to leave a frame of, say, 640 by 480 characters or pixels, it would leave the space even if the picture wasn't properly uh, described or um, mm. if I didn't enter the text. And, the and, and you know, eventually I just got to the point where I just, I did a lot of copying and pasting because I just didn't want to make those errors with uh, file names. And, you know, one of the things that used to aggravate the heck out of me was for a long time, you could not put spaces in file names. And most of the files that people would send me had spaces. And if you forgot to put the, sp you were, forgot to replace the space with a dash, then, you know, the, 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 right. The FTP client wouldn't accept the files, and you know you'd have to start over. It's just, mm -hmm. it was, and the 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 most difficult thing I had with HTML was managing media because people would send me photos, and since I didn't have a way to edit them because I have no way of knowing if I try to make them bigger or smaller what the resulting image would look like, so I included the images people would send me as is. So sometimes. I'd have two or three different size images on the same page together. And that was just, you know, the way it had to be. The other thing came when I was selecting colors for my website, because I, you know, there are two ways you select colors for a website, either by the color name or by the hexadecimal number. Mm -hmm. And I figured I got no chance of knowing what color goes with what number. So I went with the color names and I went based on what I remembered from when I could see uh, much better. So I chose yellow for the background because in the on our Carnival Midway, yellow always uh, displayed the toys and the stuffed animals better than white did. I went with blue for the text, red for the previous red for the link text, and orange for previously clicked link text. I would find out later that the yellow was ice creaming yellow, the blue was a dark navy, the red was a dark brick, and the orange was a forest of orange, like something you'd see on the side of a NASCAR vehicle. Mm -hmm. And more than once, people told me my website was so vivid that Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder could have argued over it. <laughs> <laughs> but because I got to a point where I could say, okay, Max, this is as good as you're going to make it for now yep, and yep. focused on helping people sell used carnival rides, um, I've sold hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment on five continents and a lot of it with that website before it was updated to the more traditional look it has now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, back was this back in 2007? When was this around? Um, if you go to archive.org or midwaymarketplace.com in 2008, you can see what it looked like then. But I will advise you, you know, you might want to put your sunglasses on or try not to look directly into the monitor. Uh, we put a screen grab of, of it up on a screen when I was speaking a couple of years ago and the audience just, you could hear the audible cringe when they saw this thing. It was, you know, just, but you know, it worked. Right. It worked because I, you know, because you know, how it is. They're, they're, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people who they still haven't launched their blog or their website or the podcast because it ain't good enough and it's never going to be good enough. You know, they're always thinking there's something it needs to have that it don't have or that, uh, there's something about it they don't like. And instead of launching it and starting to promote it and trying to, to drive traffic to it and work on monetizing it, 
you know, mm-hmm. work on building the brand and the business. They're still worried about a website that's the only place you can see is on their computer. So I I personally think my vision loss really helps me with that because I can't appreciate how bad the website looked at one time. Mm. Uh, But, you know, in the carnival world, it probably, it might, there's some people in that world in the amusement industry where that might've actually worked for me. I don't know. Uh, I know it was, I know that the if I had focused on the website and just said, this is crap, I'm not going to show it to nobody, um, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. So I think one thing that people can take from my website at the Midway Marketplace, from my blog, those are just all excuses. There are things that, yeah, it would be great if you could do them. They might make you better. They might not. It just depends on on you as a person. But we cannot educate, inform, entertain, inspire, or motivate anybody if we never post our content. So if you're thinking about launching a podcast, just go ahead and launch the darn thing. Let people see you as you are now and let them grow with you as an audience. That's how you build a loyal audience, letting them see you as you really are instead of the person some of these people try to make you think they are, you know? Mm. Uh, Right. But my friend uh, is releasing a book and I was talking about this and like months and months ago when he was trying to get started, like I told him to get a website now and kind of just start advertising it early. And I tried to convince him to do it. Yes. It didn't work. And then all these months later, he's talking to me. He's trying to convince me that he should start a website. I'm like, yes, start a website. And he's going (laughs) on. I'm like, no, do the website. What are you waiting for? He's like, I don't know. Like, should, should should I really do it right now? I'm like, yes, yes. You're watching the book soon. Yeah. I, I try to tell authors and other creatives this all the time. You cannot wait until the book is finished to start promoting the book. You need to be building an online presence now with a website or a blog or a social media page that you post to religiously and post as a, as a representation of your future work as an author or a musician or a filmmaker or a podcaster. And I also, I also encourage people to go on podcasts and share their stories and be interviewed and start building the platform before you need people to support and or buy your book or go, you know, or support your film on Patreon or, you know, we really, uh, I, one of my, one of my best examples of this is a guy named Dave Steele and he's a fellow author who also happens to be blind. He's, he's written some amazing uplifting long form poetry. Uh, he's, he's been losing his vision to RP for three or four years now. He's married with kids and a dog. So there's a lot of the fears that a lot of people have with vision loss. And he posted new poetry three, four times a week to his Facebook page. He didn't have a website, but he did have a Facebook page. He posted poetry every, you know, three, four times a week. He built up a following when his first, First book of poetry came out, which, by the way, included quite a few poems that people could have already read on Facebook. His his book, you know, not only killed it on the Amazon best-selling list, his book killed it on the, you know, whatever the equivalent of the New York Times is in the UK's best-selling list, because he had built that audience through sharing the kind of poetry that he would eventually release in his book. And that's the way it is as an author or a podcaster. Uh, build the website build the platform, let people get to know you and like you and come to believe in you. And then when you watch the book, much, much better chance of being successful in the area of sales. I love it. I'm all for promotions. Nate and I have had 
a lot of a lot of conversations about uh, like how to promote and and what works and what doesn't. We've had uh, a lot of and we on our show we've had some some disagreements about uh, like what ways is it okay to promote and not okay to promote for for various different things. We have a, a popular one that was uh, a disagreement about uh, charities and what way it's okay to to promote. Uh, a charity and, and my theory is always I mean if it gets if it raises money for the charity I don't care what you're doing to promote it as long as it's like ethically okay to do um and that's that's always always very interesting to me like how how can you get the most views and where do like the ethics come into that I personally have no problem with clickbaiting my my listeners if it gets them to listen and they like what they listen to I don't care what brought you in I just care that you're here yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, I, uh, I, I tend to think you're probably right. I mean, the the real problem comes for you as a podcaster if uh, eventually people see it as clickbait because it's only clickbait if they're not going to get good content when they click that link. To me, that's yeah. to me that's the problem with clickbait is so often, especially in especially in my newsfeed. There'll be articles and the headline is great. I want to read that article. But when I click the button, the article that I'm reading is not the article that they promised I was going to be reading. Or the uh, the coverage wasn't the same as what I expected when I read the headline. So to me, what you're doing probably isn't clickbait. I mean, it's just creating compelling titles to drive traffic to the to the thing. I I think the the only time I've ever really seen a problem with raising money for nonprofits is when the nonprofit has a problem with the person or organization that's that's raising the money for them. There was a famous case in the early 2000s where a group of uh, strippers at a male at, at a, a a male uh, one of those clubs for men raised thousands of dollars for and tried to give it to muscular dystrophy and the MDA foundation wouldn't accept the money. You know, wow. that, that's uh, because of, because of how it was raised. They, they had a problem with the fact that money was raised at a strip club. Who cares? So, Aris, well, apparently they Stripping's not illegal. Uh, I remember this is, this the, is my exact uh, point. <laughs> I remember a couple of them coming on the news and saying, the thing that and it said several of the women said it actually made them feel better about themselves as strippers because when they would do the, the dances strictly for MBA money, people would spend more money than when they were paying strictly for the entertainment from whatever woman was dancing. So, so the stuff like that happens occasionally. Um, you know, um, a good example. Uh, what about six or seven years ago? Back when I was was focused strictly on selling amusement equipment. Uh, I reached out to a couple of the organizations for vision loss about putting a banner on my midway marketplace website to promote uh, contributions to their nonprofit. And the responses I got back were they did not want to be associated with my particular kind of website. That's uh, absurd to me. I know. If you want, if you want to put a banner on your website for me or if strippers want to strip for me, to raise money, I'm never going to turn that down. <laughs> just throwing that up. Yeah, those are just a couple of examples that come to mind because you know, um, and everybody has to make their own decisions about you know their image, their brand, their ethics. But I like I agree with you. If we can get them to the content, 
to the nonprofit so they can contribute, then that's that's all good. I mean, it's not like you're you're forcing them to visit your website. It's not like you're using uh, cookies or some sort of you know of black hat techniques to make them go there, even if they don't want to go there, or you know to trick them into going somewhere because the uh, you know by redirecting the URL or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I I don't have a, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I think the problem for the podcaster though comes if people get to where um, they click that link and they don't find your usual quality of content, then it becomes mm-hmm. clickbait. I get yeah. really frustrated with uh, some podcasts, like some YouTube podcasts online and everything, because they'll like put out the full podcast, but then they do like clips and highlights. And the highlight might be something super interesting, like you're talking about some spicy subject or, you know, some current news thing. And you think, oh, hey, what does it have to say, to say about this? And then you watch the whole thing and they only mention it for like half a second to like, like maybe they're going to talk about, I don't know, Joe Rogan or something in this new Spotify deal. But then we mention that for like maybe 10 seconds out of the whole seven minutes. And that that's like a bad kind of clickbait, I think, because you're not accurately representing the content that's actually there. Hey, let's not let's not forget to put uh, Joe Rogan and Spotify in the tags for this now. <laughs> <laughs> Just for that, uh, you know, you know, I, you know, you know, I already liked you because we've had conversations <laughs> about Podcast USA and Podcast Texas, but but I am really starting to like you even more now. You know what I mean? Because that's the kind of thing I that's the kind of thing I should do more of. You know, is is put those hashtags in there and and do the keyword stuffing in my in my podcast titles, etc. You know, and I uh, I really just don't think about that as much as I should, but yeah, that's, that's a good example of how, because I'm sure there are lots of people, and it's, especially if you can do like Joe Rogan plus Spotify in the, in one tag together, because there are probably a lot of people looking for that. Cause what did he sign? Like a hundred million dollar deal or something crazy. Oh yeah. A hundred yeah. million. And hundred million. I thought that's what it was. Yeah. Crazy. It's a crazy deal. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, but, you know, uh, go ahead. But, you know, Spotify is trying to do what corporate does all the time. They're trying to, you know, to, to stake their claim and, and basically become the only brand in the marketplace and then use that to make really crazy money down the road. That's what they're trying to do. And they feel like Joe Rogan is one of those platform brands that uh, they can use as a cornerstone to do that with. So I, I don't have a problem with them doing that. I don't have a problem with Joe Rogan doing it. I'm not exactly sure I want to be associated with Spotify, although I found out just yesterday that um, that as part of the Joe Rogan deal, that somebody is now signed, uh, is now created a created a process where they're going to be taking Spotify podcasts and turning them into movies and TV shows. So uh, I'm kind of, I guess, you know, I'm torn. I really don't want to be involved in corporate like Spotify, but if that's where if that's where somebody might find me and turn what's your excuse into a television show where I get paid more regularly, then okay, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Listen, here's what I'm going to say, okay? Spotify, I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> you got this $100 million deal with Joe Rogan. We have three years, four years back catalog and uh, a one-year deal. 1% of what you pay Joe Rogan, you can get our whole show back catalog and the next year. Just throwing that out there, Spotify. Uh, so thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe. Yeah, yeah. So now what you really need to do is is you need to take this clip 
and send this clip to some people you can depend on to post it to their social media accounts. That's very smart. That's not something, no, you can't post that clip yourself, but if you can find people who will post it to Instagram and Facebook for you, you know, Mm -hmm. then then I would definitely do that. And, you know, even send them the, you know, the hashtag and the link so they don't Mm -hmm. have to do anything but copy and paste it to their favorite social media account. You know that? And that's where we're going to end this podcast. So you guys have a great rest of your day. And hey, next time we'll need to talk. We're going to talk more with Maxwell, the blind blogger. Hey, we need to talk.